Thank you, Donna, for directing the choir. It's a beautiful song. Thank you, choir. That truly inspires us and prepares our hearts before we open up the Word of God this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 today. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look closely at three verses of Scripture, verses 10, 11, and 12. And what we're doing is we are wrapping up the first half of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. The series is entitled Upside Down Kingdom. As we begin this new year, 2015, the pastoral staff prayed for a, a good three, three months and discussed how we could work on aligning and unifying the church family. And so as we talked and we prayed about this, a couple results came of that. One was that we said, let's immerse ourselves in the Gospels. Let's, let's get into, the, into a Gospel and look at it very deeply. And the second thing that we prayed and we worked on was connecting people to biblical community through small groups. And the results of God working in Nova has been great. 73% of Nova people are involved in a group outside of Sunday morning, which is about 25% more than we've ever had. And then we've gotten into an, an intentional immersion in the gospel through this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so we are eight weeks into our Upside Down Kingdom series, and today we're completing the last of the Beatitudes. And we'll take a short break from this series for Palm Sunday and for Easter, and then right after Easter, we'll continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, we see Jesus pronouncing blessing on surprising categories of people, people we don't normally think of as blessed, like the poor in spirit and those who mourn. We don't think of the meek and the spiritual, spiritually hungry as necessarily blessed. And many of these Beatitudes surprise us, but we've come to understand and see their beauty and even welcome the upside-down nature of the kingdom. So let's do this. Let's, in our last um, uh, sermon on the Beatitudes in this series, let's give sort of a recap or a review of where we've been. So the first recap or point of review we can make is the name Beatitudes comes from the Latin beatudo or beatus, and the English translation of this word is blessed. Now, the Beatitudes give this succinct statement on the ethos of the kingdom of heaven, and they summarize the principles of the kingdom of heaven. The second thing we can look at when we look at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount is it's the composition and the structure of the Beatitudes is very important, as we've talked about throughout the series. There's eight primary statements that make up the Beatitudes, and the first found in verse 3 in chapter 5, and the last found in verse 10, what we're going to take a look at today, form sort of bookends. Now, this is a common example of what's a, what is a Hebrew liter, literary device called inclusio. Now, if you were in the study of the Bible class that was meeting in room A a couple quarters ago, quarters ago in Nova classes, they talked about the inclusio. And the inclusio signals to everybody when you read it that it, it, it forms bookends because both the first beatitude and the last one today say that the blessed have the kingdom of, of, of heaven. And so it's a common theme throughout all of the beatitudes in that this theme is the kingdom of heaven. 
The third thing we can take a look at as we uh, explore the Beatitudes in review is the audience. Now, in classic rabbinical, uh, in a rabbinical method of teaching, Jesus climbs up to a mount or a hillside and he sits down to communicate to his listeners. The audience is probably two, uh, two groups of people. First is the inner circle, the, the disciples he's, he's communicating to, and then the second is this outer group, and we'll call them the crowds. Maybe some truly followers, maybe some just looky-loos and, uh, and listeners. And then the last thing we can recap with the Beatitudes is the, the purpose, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, very clearly, is not a sermon on how I should live the Christian life. In the sermon, Jesus does not say, here are people who obey God and here are people who don't obey God. The Beatitudes, however, describe people who are in the kingdom of God. But today, we come to the last and the least favorite of all the Beatitudes. It's a Beatitude that, if we're honest with ourselves... We don't like to think about it too much. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is the reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for us this morning. Pastor Saeed is a 35-year-old Iranian-American pastor in prison in Iran since 2012. He was charged with undermining national security of Iran for starting Christian churches. And he has apparently been tortured and beaten and suffering from internal bleeding. Pastor Saeed is married and has two children. And last week on Tuesday, his son sent him an invitation to a seventh birthday party. Pastor Saeed wrote back to his son, and this is a portion of his letter. He said, to my dear beloved son Jacob, I saw your beautiful birthday invitation that you made me, and I know how much you want me to be there on your birthday. Daddy loves you so much, and I long to be there for your birthday and to make this reunion happen, but my chains are keeping me from you. I want you to know that although I might not be there, you might feel my ab- and you might feel my absence. There is one who always is there, one who is always there with you, who can meet all of your needs under any condition. I might not be there on your birthday, and that breaks my heart as your father, but I know the one who is there on your birthday, who is there for you and cares for you more than anyone can imagine. He is there with you, and his name is I am who I am. I am who I am. It means God is there with you in every situation that you are going through. So happy birthday to my big boy and my hero, Jacob. Thank you for standing strong with me in this battle for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your proud dad. There came a time in my young adult 
dating life that I decided that the next woman that I would date would be the one I would kiss and that would be the one that would be my wife. And so Janet and I started dating and we agreed that this was right for us, that we would not kiss until we knew that we were going to be the one for each other. We made no announcements to anybody. We didn't put any posts on Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking about this beatitude this week, and it's kind of my only weak example of persecution. It's not even persecution, really. I was at a work Christmas party. I worked at a psychiatric hospital. And... Um, we were a group of adjunctive therapists working together, and, and um, there, it was a, quite a large group, 27 of us, and, and we went to this Christmas party for our group, and everyone brought their spouse. And so we, end, we ended the night with taking pictures of, of couples, and they decided they were going to take pictures of couples kissing under the mistletoe. And so couples were going, and they were kissing, and they were taking pictures, and, and I was thinking, oh, no. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Now, at this point, Janet had no idea that I was going to ask her to be my wife in just a few short weeks. But it's still, we, we made an agreement to one another and, and to God. And so couples were lining up, and they were kissing, and the mistletoe, and it was fun, and it was you know, it was all everything that I wanted to do. And so it was our time, and we, they pushed us together, and they said, okay, put your arms around each other. Okay, pose, kiss. And we didn't. And people were talking, like, why, why aren't you kissing? I said, no, no, no. Thing. Oh, he's embarrassed. And they knew I was a Christian, and finally I, I told them we decided not, not to kiss unless we knew that we were going to be married. You can imagine the jokes and the questions and the judgments. People were questioning my sexual orientation. It went all the way through the hospital that Dean does not kiss this beautiful girl that he's dating. Why is that? I went that home, home that night kind of rattled. I, I wouldn't even call that persecution. But my question is, are we really blessed when this happens to us? So I have some questions. I, I ask God, I have questions, God, about this beatitude. And, and you, might, you may have the same questions. And my, my questions are, what does Jesus really mean by this persecution? And how does it work? How does blessing really happen to us when we get this persecution? So let's talk about this. Let's understand persecution. What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. We should first look at what Jesus doesn't mean. Now, you've all heard of a bucket list, right? Yeah? A bucket list is a list of things that you want to do before you kick the bucket, right? And people have created all kinds of lists with goals, like I want to own a Ferrari, I want to visit exotic locations, I want to 
jump out of a perfectly good airplane with a parachute. I want to, you know, there's all sorts of things that people want to do. So this is it. Here's what Jesus isn't saying. He isn't saying that we should add to our bucket list experience persecution. He's not, this is not a command from Jesus to go out and look for persecution. But this beatitude does hint at something. It hints at something that Jesus says repeatedly throughout the Gospels. And it may not be on our bucket list to experience persecution, but those who are part of his kingdom truly do experience it. So the first point we can make here is this. Don't aim to experience persecution, but know that it's coming. Don't aim to experience it, but know that it's coming for those who are in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, you will be hated by everyone because of me. And in John chapter 15, he said, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The Apostle Paul later wrote in Philippians chapter 1, he said, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to what? Suffer for him. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul carries on. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's inevitable. Jesus is pronouncing that his kingdom has arrived and it's breaking into the world now in these Beatitudes. And, And as his kingdom breaks into this world, there's a clash of kingdoms. And as these two kingdoms clash, members of the kingdom of heaven will inevitably get caught up in the battle. Now, inevitably, I think, or I'm thinking that you have either read or watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? And if you haven't, if that's your thing, it's pretty entertaining. And if you've ever watched the movies or read the book, you'll remember that there's a clash of kingdoms there. And there are some pretty spectacular battle scenes of these rival kingdoms that are warring against one another. In Samwise Gamgee, he says these famous words in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He says, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. For, for Frodo and for Sam to understand what's happening to them, they have to understand a greater, a bigger picture of what they're involved in. It's a clash of, of, of kingdoms. This, this picture includes a war of kingdoms. And the same thing applies to us. If you have come under the kingship of Jesus, you're in a larger story. And that story is the clash of kingdoms. So Jesus isn't just saying to go out and look for persecution. In fact, he's not saying that at all. But he says that we will experience persecution as as we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now, now Jesus gives us reasons we'll be persecuted. It will be for righteousness' sake, he says. And people will say false things about us. Early Christians were charged primarily with immoral behavior. Early Christians were charged with being atheists and being enemies of the state. They were charged with being immoral because they kept talking about loving their brothers and sisters and people persecuted them for that. And they were charged with being atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. They were charged with being enemies of the state because they said that Jesus was Lord and not Caesar. And when persecuted, when, when you're persecuted, the charge will usually be something else. 
You won't be charged with being righteous. You may be accused of being intolerant or disloyal or you're not a team player. The second point we can make about persecution is this. You're not persecuted when you distance yourself from the world. You're persecuted as you engage the world. You're not persecuted when you distance yourself from the world. You are persecuted as you engage the world. Ajith Fernando, a Sri Lankan missionary, in his book, To Serve is to Suffer, he says this. He says, The West is fast becoming an unreached region. The Bible and history show that suffering is an essential, essential ingredient in reaching unreached people. He says, Will the loss of a theology of suffering lead the Western church to become ineffective in evangelism? Christians in both the East and the West will need to have a firm theology of suffering if they are to be healthy and bear fruit. Jesus isn't saying that we should go looking for persecution. But he is saying, if you're part of the kingdom, you're going to experience this persecution. And when we do, he's saying we can consider ourselves blessed. So my big question to God is, how can persecution be a blessing? Really? I mean, how can someone reviling you, saying all kinds of false and evil things about you, how can that be a blessing? That's my big question today. Now, how does this work? How is it possible to face suffering and persecution and know that I'm blessed even as I'm being persecuted? How is it possible to rejoice? Tell me that. How is it possible to rejoice when people are persecuting me on his account? Well, Jesus tells us how. He tells us the how, and he says that we're to think about two things. And the first is this. He says, think about the finish. Think about the finish. Now, last Sunday, uh, a marathon was run in L.A. I don't know if any of you did it. I don't know if you ever run a marathon, but you have firsthand experience if you have. And one thing strikes me as I look at runners who are running a, a marathon, the ones in the middle of the marathon, because the ones in the middle of the marathon, they don't really look all that blessed or happy, do they? <laughs> I've never seen a runner at the 20-mile mark smiling. And if you ask them why they're putting up with the obvious pain in this strenuous effort, they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you it's, it's this, what happens at the end. They're going to experience something at the finish line. They're going to receive a medal. They're going to have their picture taken as they cross that finish line. And they'll hear the applause that I'm not sure I'll ever hear in my life. <laughs> but that's the kind of image that Jesus gives us. Why would you choose a life that would lead to persecution? Why would we put up with that when we could just sort of be kicking back now. It's not because it looks fun. It's because of that payoff, that, that reward at the end. Runners aren't smiling at that 20-mile mark, but they're, they are at that finish line. And the hope of what's coming keeps them going, keeps us going as we're being persecuted. The only way to find bless, blessing, even under persecution, 
is to remember that there's something more valuable, there's something way more valuable than a persecution-free life. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus tells us that we can rejoice when we suffer, when we think about what's coming to us in the end. So think about what you have coming to you, but there's more, because Jesus says to think of one more thing as we suffer from persecution, and it's this. It's think about the community that you're in. Think about the finish, and think about the community that you're in. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. At first glance, this kind of sounds ridiculous to me. It's, it's sort of, Jesus is saying when we suffer, we should rejoice because we're joining a long line of people who have suffered for the kingdom too. So you could be just like them. And I, I think it almost sounds silly, but I, as I stop and I think about this, I think there's some sense of, and maybe you can't relate, but maybe for me, there's some sense of community, there's some sense of reward there's some sense of adventure when I think about this. Take a look at this sign here. This, this uh, sign is on a boat dock, and it says, Deck hands needed. Live aboard. Low pay. Long hours. Good food, though. Permanent crew space available. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. Now, who would sign up for something like this? Now, I think at a certain point in my life, I think I would. It reminded me of this quote, and maybe you've heard it before, of Sir Ernest Shackleton, when he was advertising, uh, recruiting men for his expedition to Antarctica in 1914. His advertisement said, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, Safe return, doubtful. (laughs) Honor and recognition in case of success. And men signed up for that. When you suffer persecution, you're joining this long list, a growing list of people that risked everything for Jesus. And I think it's a privilege to be counted in their number. We can join some of those that the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 11. The writer writes, I do not time, have time to tell you all about these guys who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, Women received their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And they wandered in deserts and mountains and living in caves and in holes in the ground. You get to join the company of those who had suffered for his name, including the 150,000 Christians who are martyred for their faith every year. 
We get to join people like Iranian Pastor Saeed and be counted in that number. But listen, listen to this. Listen to how this has worked itself out in practice. Listen to how people throughout history have been able to rejoice in the midst of persecution because they remembered the rewards in the company that they keep. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. And in Acts chapter 20, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Our best example is the one who spoke the words of the Beatitudes, though. Jesus chose to leave his place of safety and he chose the path of suffering. And he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we see what Jesus did for us, we know that it's, it's, it's more than worth it to suffer for his name. And I don't wish suffering on anyone. I, I don't wish that for anybody. And I certainly don't wish it for myself. I would not do that just for myself, just to put in my bucket list but it is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, especially as we live on mission as kingdom people. So it's worth it. It's worth it because of what we're going to receive and because of the company that we keep while we suffer. And it's worth it because Jesus was willing to suffer so that we can be part of his kingdom. It's a kingdom that will never end. And we're called to be part of that kingdom and worthy of that suffering. Amen.